Welcome to The Inner Room, a study where we review highlights on daily scriptures and focus on the instructions and examples they provide to learn mastery of our emotions, to guide us in our spiritual journey, to learn to pray, worship, and listen to God's will for our lives. Hello, this is Sofia Fonseca de Niño, and I welcome you to this inner room. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the inner room, Emotions in the Bible. And we would love to hear your questions, your ideas, or your comments. Thank you for joining us today. I am coming back from having a drink with two friends of mine. Two girlfriends I hadn't seen one of them for seven months. The last time I saw her was in March for the funeral of her mother. And that was the beginning of lockdown. And it was the large la the last large gathering that I attended. And even though we've communicated via phone and text and WhatsApp, we hadn't really seen each other. And the three of us recognized the importance of seeing friends. And even if it's six feet apart, and even if it is with masks, to really stay connected. Because as the fall comes and the light is dimming, we are feeling the weariness of the journey that we've been on for these seven long months. I remember being at the funeral and thinking, well, we're going to have to be closed off from contact with others for a few weeks. And here it, it has now been almost 30 weeks. It's a long time. And the readings today talk a little bit about the importance of friends. Jesus sends 72 people in pairs. So the ability to have someone next to us to lift us up and the ability to know who to call when things get tough. Talking to my children uh, this weekend, we were also talking about the importance of managing our emotions because as homecomings are being canceled and games are not attended by the public, Uh, I have basketball players that are training daily on their own and training is going to lead to games where parents or spectators are not allowed. So we have a very different connection to the world and we have to be mindful of our emotions. In the first reading, we see Job talking to his friends and asking them to pity him, knowing that the hand of God has struck him. How important it is to be able to call one another and say, this happened. Be with me. Pray with me. Pray for me. Today, I prayed over two people that really needed it. And I called someone else to pray over me. And so this is an important thing that we can do for one another. Not just pray for each other, but also pray over one another. One of the most beautiful things that happens on October 1st is that we remember Therese of Lisieux, who was a young nun who, who lived a very simple life, and she wanted to become a great saint in the altars of heaven, be able to sing to God and honor him and contemplate him, and be sitting right on Jesus's lap. She would talk about that on her biography, and she is known to have provided recourse to those that are asking God for help. She said she would spend her heaven sending roses down from heaven and that she would be attentive to bring prayers to God's altar and to intercede for us. 
So it's a beautiful thing to also have friends in heaven. We know that we also have those that have died before us. I know that I am in constant conversation with my father and my grandmother. My grandma just died recently as well. And so I'm still processing and grieving in this sort of strange virtual way with my family members and others that connect with me and reach out to me. And I'm connecting with others who have lost people as well. So friendship is so important always, but in a very unique way in this time of COVID-19. And particularly when each of us is particularly experiencing also a, a sense of loss. So let's take a deeper dive into the first reading in the book of Job. We are reading from chapter 19 today, and Job is talking to his friends and saying, the hand of God has struck me, right? And that is a way to say, well, these things are happening. That is one of the most difficult questions to answer. Does God create COVID-19? Does God create the things that are happening in Job's life? He's lost everything. We know that the story tells us that the Satan, as the Hebrews call him, the accuser, the, the father of all lies, talks to God about testing Job. And this is the result. He loses everything and he is really wrestling with the emotions that come from such terrible losses. In the midst of it, he says, I know that my vindicator lives, that he will at last stand forth upon the dust whom I myself shall see, my own eyes, not another's, shall behold him. And from my flesh, I shall see God. My inmost being is consumed with longing. What an amazing prayer for someone who has gone through all the difficulties. And we could say, as some of my atheist friends have asked me before, what is it with this God that allows bad things to happen? That's one way of saying it, that God doesn't cause them, but there's free will. And in this case for Job, he is being tested and the Satan interceded and said, I want to test him and see what he's made out of. And God said, you're in a free will kind of world. And that can be a very hard thing for me sometimes to, to explain to my atheist friends, because does that mean that God is wanting something evil. That's impossible because he's God. He cannot want something evil, but he wants free will. He wants freedom. And that means all of us, because we live in a world of cause and effect that is bound by the laws of nature, all of us are going to die and all of us are going to experience loss. And in that equation, we have a choice to remain surrendered and connected with God or we have a choice to not do that and to just continue living life. Like again, some of my atheist friends who say that there's nothing really that exists afterwards and they will just disappear into thin air and that that will be the end of it. Because we know we have a soul and we know that if I watch my father die, we, my sister and I were right there holding his hand as he passed away, and when he stopped breathing, there was this 
sacred moment where you knew that he was gone, not just physically. And we watched his face just have zero wrinkles anymore at 80, right? And uh, it was a very sacred moment that we witnessed where the soul departs from the body. We know it because Jesus has told us. And we know that where he is, there are many homes, many rooms, and that he's waiting for us. And so this is what Job tells today to his friends. I know my vindicator lives, that I will see him. I'll stand on the dust and I will see him with my own eyes, with my own flesh. And this is what's getting me through. This longing of knowing that there is eternity beyond the difficulties of this moment. And that God has created a system that has freedom, free will, where both angels and human beings interact with each other and we have the ability to act according to our own innermost desires. Let us pray that we can be like Job and in the middle of difficulties be able to connect with God and see the truth. God ends up replenishing everything that was lost and multiplying it by a lot for his faithfulness and he's ready to do that for us as well. The psalm for today is 27, and on verse 13, it says, I believe that I shall see the good things of the Lord in the land of the living. This is another one that is prayed oftentimes at funerals. We will see the good things of the Lord in the land of the living. We know that this is a psalm that has been sung at times of war and famine and difficulties when people have been in the midst of great turmoil to remember like Job that God is the ultimate answer, that he is eternal and he sits on heaven's throne. The psalmist says, of you my heart speaks, you my glance seeks. And how appropriate it is that we find those same images in Job's speech to his friends, where he says, my own eyes, not another's, shall behold him. And my, from my own flesh, I shall see God. The verses continue, your presence, O Lord, I seek. And our walk is a walk of faith. It's not a walk by sight because we do not see God. We feel him. We hear him in the inner uh, depths of our hearts. And God asks that we long for his presence because he is awaiting that encounter that he loves us so much. I have a friend who attended the prayer in Washington, D.C. that happened over the weekend, prayer for the nation, and she was telling me that amongst the 50,000 people, she was standing there and they were all praying. At some point, all of them knelt down and you had a wave of 50,000 people kneeling and praying to God for the nation. And before that happened, three helicopters came above and her son is a Marine. And she said she found herself just jumping up and down and looking up at the helicopters and waving, thinking my son may be in one of, the, in one of them. And uh, she said, you know, the image that I was that happy and enthusiastic parent 
that my son could be up there is really an image for how God loves us. And I thought, how appropriate is that, that God is so excited to have an encounter with us. So it is God's presence that we seek. How hard is it for you to wait on the Lord? How hard is it for you to be still and know that God is? That has been part of the training that God has had me on for the last season, for the last, in the last year. And I have been learning to, to be still and know that he is God. And this is one of the Psalms that is very helpful. I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord with courage. It's not easy to wait. I want to take things into my own hands. I want to solve them my way. I want to solve them the way I think it needs to be solved. But to wait in the Lord requires courage. That means we're putting our trust in God and saying, you take care of it, you do it, you help shape it, not me. Be stout-hearted, says the psalmist, and wait for the Lord. These I can repeat to myself in moments where I don't know how to sit still and wait for God to be the one who moves. I want to do it my way. And sometimes when things are falling apart, particularly, I want to be the problem solver. And sometimes I've heard in my heart, You need to let that fall apart, and then I will make all things new. My favorite one that I repeat all the time from the book of Revelation, Behold, I make all things new. Let's look at the gospel. In the gospel today, Jesus sends 72 disciples ahead of him in pairs. He is preparing the way and he is teaching those that have accepted his call. And the way is preparing them because they're going to witness how he dies and how he is risen. And he is sort of whispering to them before they go and instructing them and telling them the things they need to remember in sort of a way of paying attention. He appoints them and there's something so important in being appointed. How has God appointed you in your life? What has he appointed you to do? Look what Jesus says, because he's saying this, saying this to you and me. The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. So that's the first thing he's sending us, saying, go get some more, because we need to spread the kingdom of heaven to everyone. Then he says, go on your way. And I am sending you like lambs amongst wolves. What are we to make of this? Because he's sending us into danger. Have you ever felt danger when you were talking about Jesus? I remember a few conversations that I had in my youth where saying that I was a believer, saying that I love Jesus resulted in some mocking, for example, that can be very difficult especially if you want to be cool or fit in or be part of the crowd and somebody thinks, oh my goodness, you really believe in that nonsense or you don't think that that's like ancient stuff that doesn't have any relevance. There are so many ways that we hear the description of faith be minimized, diminished or ridiculed. And that is part of what Jesus is saying. I'm sending you like lambs amongst wolves. The world is interested in fame 
in fortune, in, in honors and reputation. And those that are seeking those things are willing to step over others in order to get it. So lambs amongst wolves. Who wants to be a lamb? We want to be protected. Furthermore, Jesus says, carry no money bag, no sack, no sandals. So he's telling us, I will provide for everything. Don't worry about this stuff. How easy is that for you to do? I do not know how to do that very well. Carry nothing. We are in a culture of accumulating, buying, consuming. And we do more consumption than production, don't we? And Jesus is saying, carry no money bag, no sack, no sandals. Greet everyone. And when you come anywhere, say peace to this household. So this is what we bring to the world. We are peace bearers. But for that, we have to have it first. How are you doing with the peace factor of your life? Are you able to remain in peace in these difficult times? How do you do that? I have established a few routines that help me take care of my body, take care of my mind. And I'm taking care of my environment much lower than I have ever imagined. I am still with piles of books. I have succeeded in two huge ones that are now separated to be given away. And I have managed to separate the books that are very meaningful to me. But I am moving, making space in other ways, getting rid of shelves and things so that I can truly diminish the number of books that I have. And uh, that's taking time as well. My leg isn't doing so well when I go up and down the stairs. So I'm also limited. So I am learning to say, behold, I make all things new and don't do it in your own strength. And you're not going to do it in your own time. So where normally I could be on the ground for half a day and do piles with my knee like this, I can do 30 minutes and then I can't continue because it really hurts. So I have to take You know, I can't do normally what I would do sitting on the on the ground or, or squatting. So being patient, how well are you doing with the peace that you can give to others because you have it? The best image that I have for myself is that I have a tank of peace that is sort of inside of me. And my job is not to waste it, not to waste it with emotions that are not helpful because when I start to allow my imagination to start going rampant and I make myself worried, for example, that's an emotion that I don't need. Worry is not one that I need. Sometimes I can be angry and I have found ways to express my anger and I can be sad. I have found ways to express my sadness and I can be frustrated. I found my ways to express frustration, but there are ways in which these emotions like shame, not helpful. So how do we get ourselves of these emotions When we feel them, I've, I've learned a lot by breathing and imagining that the emotions are simply like smoke or balloons or a cloud that just departs from me. And being able to imagine that, that it leaves me, has been a very helpful exercise. And I actually see that it goes to the altar of heaven. And sometimes I even put it on a jar. These might all seem really crazy. Uh, but this imagery for dealing with emotions and thoughts that come and hunt us down is very useful. We have to find a way to uh, not be guided by them, not be burdened by them. Our emotions are just like Eeyore, you know, a little cloud that comes, you know, Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh, if you know what I mean. He walks around with a cloud over his head. So we have to move away and let the cloud, you know, depart. 
Jesus instructs to stay in the house, to drink what is offered, and then if the peace is not received, to take it back and leave. And then he ends by saying, cure the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God is at hand for you. Not in a generic way, not in an abstract way, not somewhere, some somehow, uh, but for you here. The kingdom of heaven is for you here, for you and me.